0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this institution that you have given us called marriage to mirror what our relationship with you should be like, the intimacy that you desire in our worship to you, in our speech to you, and in all mannerisms of interaction with you. I ask right now, Father, that you would use me as a conduit that you would remove me, Lord, and let the words that come out of my mouth be solely what you desire to penetrate the hearts and minds so that these marriages would be the mirror, the depiction of what you would have them to be. I thank you, Father, and I praise you right now. In Jesus' name, amen all right so i'm going to give you a recap of what we did for last week's class okay so last week's class we talked about singlehood and marriage you know how sometimes you think oh hey you know getting married i'm gonna marry my best friend it's gonna be wonderful and then you're like who is this stranger next to me (laughs) in the bed right okay so we talked about singlehood and marriage and discovering a woman's deepest need a woman's deepest need do you know what it is love. We want to feel loved. We want to feel accepted. Whereas a man's deepest need, most people think it's sex and it's not. That's right. It is respect. Whoa. Yes. (laughs) So it is respect. And then we talked about a supplemental pill just won't do. And that is the S word is not a four letter word. And the S word is submission. (laughs) Yes, because I know when I got married and I learned about submission and I read about it in the Bible and I'm like, surely the Lord is not that cruel (laughs) to make me be submissive to this man who was just not listening, you know, but, (laughs) and my, my prayers honestly were Lord change him because (laughs) surely this is not who you wanted me to marry, change him. And then it got to be, well, Lord, can you work with this situation? And then finally it was Lord change me. And that's when things really started happening because Laura was like, I kind of need to move you out of the way so that I can work on him. But you all in his ear and not being submissive, he can't hear me. And that was like, my boat moment for me. So that's what we covered in class two. Now in this class, everything that I do kind of revolves around food. Sorry about that. <laughs> but it does. It revolves around food. So eat your veggies. That's talking about building strong marriages. Now, obviously, you know, when we get married, we think that we have everything that it takes to have a strong marriage. In my background, I never had good role models. Yeah, none. In fact, in my household, it was either you get a divorce and you didn't. And divorce was never even the last option. It was you're getting on my nerves. Like we're not gelling anymore. We're going to get a divorce. You know, or it was, we're going to be emotionally divorced, but we're going to stay together to save face. We're going to stay together for the kids. And that wasn't healthy either. So I never had a real good role model, with the exception of one couple. And their names were the Gentries. And the Gentries, they were this amazing couple. I might even have a picture. Let me see if I can find this picture of them for you. They are still together okay and they are the cutest couple let me see i think here they are aren't they cute they are so stinking cute they are in their 80s and 90s now and they are still together and i remember seeing them you know when i was younger just how much they loved on each other and respected one another you know and i'm like this real (laughs) because i had never seen that before So when my husband and I got married, I'm like, we're going to be just like that. The reason that everybody else, you know, got messed up was because they just married the wrong person. But we're going to be just like that. Uh -uh. (laughs) They went through the pressure cooker and everything that you can imagine was thrown at them. But yet they survived. So that was the type of marriage that we wanted. But we didn't realize everything we had to go through in order to get there. So those are the beautiful gentries. Now, after that, let's see, where was I? Doo, 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 doo. Oop, I don't want to go too far here. Uh, I think I'm here. Yep, that's where I am. Okay, so then next, old school home cooking. That's finding a mentor, mentee, and a sideline person. And we'll talk about what the sideline is in, in a moment. And then developing the neck bone. Have, have you ever seen my big fat Greek wedding? I have not. Oh. <laughs> yes, it's quite funny, but I'm going to share with you uh, one of the lines that was in that movie that everybody is like, ah. Oh. so we'll talk about that. So it's what a wife's role is. And then aphrodisiacs are us. This is intimacy in marriage and why it is important. Okay. All right. So next we're going to talk about the importance of not bringing your singlehood to your married life. Now, when I first got married, like I said, we didn't have any counseling. And counseling is so much more expensive after marriage than it is before. <laughs> oh, geez. So much more expensive. But we didn't have that counseling. And we literally were two single people living in the same place. That's, that's what we were. And the first two years of our marriage, we were separated. So I lived in Texas and my husband lived in South Carolina compliments of the army so by the time we finally got together we didn't really know who each other was and i was six months pregnant with my daughter divine okay and people are like well how'd you get pregnant and you two were we had leave (laughs) we had leave so i'm going to share with you on page 83 just a little snippet of what i am talking about so keep in mind i am six months pregnant okay i am five foot on a good day okay So everything was all belly. So it says, a few days after we settled in, he brought me to his workplace to meet his coworkers and friends. As I waddled through the office, everyone stared at me. I couldn't blame them. I know my belly was a little on the big side. I am five feet tall on a good day, and I was all belly. The surprise looks my husband's friends gave when they saw me in all of my round belly splendor were unmistakable. Neither one of us had married friends. Our lives never really warranted them. We were considered geographical bachelors by the Army. This is the term used when you are married, but your spouse is stationed elsewhere. As geographical bachelors, we lived in barracks or with other single soldiers. Just short of forming strong bonds with the opposite sex, our lives mirrored that of a single person. We were at the cusp of tasting that life's bitter fruit. I envisioned marital bliss. He would be home with me at night and we would snuggle as couples do. He, on the other hand, saw business as usual. (laughs) He and his single friends would go out while I remained at home. Needless to say, it caused quite a rift within our marriage. Looking back, we both see the naivete of our actions and thought processes. We wanted a blissful married life without giving up the lifestyle we had grown accustomed to living. Our marriage started deteriorating fast. It would not stop until we made a conscious effort to change who we kept as company. And, you know, I had to look at it through the guise of, if I don't divorce this life, how can I get married to a new life? So as we're still having that single mindset, it was really affecting everything that we were doing as a married couple. And so right here, it says, so in order to be married to someone, we must first divorce the one we were married to beforehand. Right? Now, I'm a firm believer that godly mentorship happens when those who are married share their wisdom with those who seek to be married. Right? And and the book, I think, is Titus. Titus 2, 4 through 5, where... um, I think I have a little... There you go. 4 through 5, there we go. They can urge the younger women... And to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And during this time, I didn't realize, but God was sending me a mentor. And he sent me a mentor in like the least likely of places. My husband and I were at odds. We really weren't talking. We were on the brink of divorce. And he sent me a mentor in my husband's boss yeah tell me about it so she came and she invited me to church and we we would go together my husband would stay at home but we would go together and it was wonderful until <laughs> until she got to the s word of submission and i'm like do you not see how foolish he is acting? like you want me to submit to that that is not going to happen but she said honey god is calling you to do this and nothing That you do outside of this is going to work until you do this. And so she gave me scriptures. It was Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter chapter 3, where it talks about the wife being submissive and winning her husband over without a word. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. Because, you know, I came from a single parent household. And all of the women in my family, very strong, independent women. And so this was a hard, bitter pill for me to swallow. <laughs> very hard. So I say all of that to say this woman really saved our marriage. I think God just put, like, this little angel <laughs> there to save our marriage. But not just to save our marriage, but to share this information with other people as well. So that scripture in Titus where the older are to teach the younger, it's not just in age, it's in experience, it's in know-how, just teach the younger. So, I'm also not saying that with friendships we like kind of kick all of our single friends to the curb. That's not what I'm saying <laughs> because many of them may seek to be married as well. And so God is talking about, hey, you need to mentor the single people as well. But you need to make sure that the people that are in your circle are for your marriage. And that's where we were having our little issues, that we had people around us that were not for our marriage. In fact, one of the uh, guys that my husband would hang out with, he was on his second marriage already and about to get divorced from that one. (laughs) And so it was like, Mm, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think that one is profitable. So single people live single lives. You know, I, I remember um, coming home one day thinking, I miss not being able to just go from work and go out. But then God is like, but this is the life I've called you to. And if this is the life I've called you to, there's a purpose down the road and this married life, this is your calling. So this is the vehicle that's going to get you to that purpose down the road. Not these single friends, not going, you know, out here and there and living that single life, but this is what you need to do. So when I realized that marriage was more of a calling than just something I chose to do on a whim on New Year's Eve, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then I realized, hey, there's there's a little more to this that it's not just about me. So As a married person, there are more concerns that we need to be accounting for. So, like, beautiful kids. (laughs) Oh, it is? Okay. How about, is that better? Is that better? I'm gonna keep talking. Okay, hopefully that's better, and and Marcy can edit that out. Thank you, Marcy, we love you. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, when I was single, my money was mine, right? You remember that? Try that in marriage. (laughs) I tried that, yeah, right before that check bounced. (laughs) I realized, oh, maybe I shouldn't have gone on that that shopping spree, or maybe I should have asked him before I went and bought all this stuff because I didn't realize he was actually food shopping. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So these are things that we need to be accountable for. Now, my married life, like I said, it mirrored my single life, and this added to the tension and frustration that was brewing in my marriage. Naturally, certain friendships began to fall away and that's just natural, right? But there were certain key friendships that even though we didn't have the same type of lifestyle, that I didn't want to give up. For example, my best friend. We had been best friends forever. But the reason why she was able to stay was because she was still for my marriage, so she could stay. But I was the kind of girl, I don't know about you, but I was the kind of girl when I was younger. I had a lot of guy friends. And my husband was like, uh, eh. No joke got to go somewhere. They're not staying here. And so a lot of them had to kind of fall away. So we had to set some limits on them, who was going to stay and who wasn't going to stay. All right, so now getting back to the older instructing the younger. This is not just older. I, read, I talked to you about that already. And unfortunately, the art of mentorship is dying. Like even here at the church, we have a mentorship program, you know, and it's, in my opinion, it's not being utilized like it should be. You know, I mean there are some dynamic women on this mentorship team and it's not being utilized like it should be. And it's not even just in marriage, but in business, in motherhood, in your walk with the Lord and it's just not being used. So, my my thing is if you can if you don't have a mentor, find one because they are invaluable. They have made the mistakes so that we don't have to make those mistakes. I like that, right? Now, I told a story about my grandmother. My grandmother was an amazing lady. She liked to cook. I was nothing like my grandmother when I was younger. In fact, I loved to run away from the kitchen. I became invisible until it was time to do the taste testing, right? So my grandmother had this knack of, like, snatching me up. She's like, oh, you coming in here, and you're going to do something in this kitchen. Now, nine times out of ten, I would just set the table, because I really did not like cooking. But I had male cousins. My grandmother would never snatch them up and bring them in the kitchen. It was always me. And I actually had a male cousin. Yeah, I actually had a male cousin who wanted to be in there. And I'm like, look, man, he wants to be in here. Can you please, can we switch? No, she didn't understand that. But she was old school, and I get that right? But I remember her saying to me one day, you're going to need to learn how to cook because you're going to have a husband and children someday. And I laughed. Now, obviously not out loud because she would have knocked my block off, (laughs) but I did. And I said to her, I'm like, Nana, I'm not getting married. I'm not getting married. I'm not having kids. I said, but if I do, by that time, they're going to have food that's already made, and you can just stick it in the oven, because they really didn't have, like, microwaves now. You can just stick it in the oven, and it will be done. And <laughs> she laughed at me, right? So there is a story that my husband tells in this book about the first time I made him dinner. And I wanted to impress him. I wanted to make this barbecued chicken. Right. So I got like the best tasting barbecue sauce I could find and on my little budget. That was that was a lot. Right. So I got the best tasting barbecue sauce I could find. I put it all over the chicken. I seasoned the chicken. Right. Put it in the oven on three seventy five. That's not bad. Right. But then I realized it was taking too long. So I popped it up to five (laughs) hundred And when my husband came over, yeah, yeah, well, it didn't even get to the point of smoking. Like it was, it was, it was charred on the outside. It was kind of (laughs) like char grilled on the outside. But so I put it on his plate and he's like, oh, it looks good, right? And then he cuts it and it was raw on the inside, raw on the inside. Yeah. So needless to say, I heard my grandmother's voice in my head getting the last laugh. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And she got the last laugh actually on two accounts because my husband can't eat anything that's prepackaged. He, I have to cook everything from scratch because of a condition that he has. And I'm just thinking, Lord, you are funny. <laughs> you are so funny. But anyway, needless to say. Um, let's go to, you know what, let's, let's, what makes a successful marriage? What do you think makes a successful I can't, it keeps moving, like this? Yeah, just away from the black sweater. I think that should be good, just as long as it's not touching it, it's touching it again. What's touching? But once you have the photos, I don't know how to work this thing, like that? No? Oh, Sue. I don't know either. So what do you think makes for a successful marriage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Humility. hmm hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And you know what? Communication is such a dying art. No, in many cases, it's just dead. People don't communicate with each other anymore. You know, like even on social media, everything just gets so skewed. You know, and even when people are talking face to face, things get skewed. There's no clarity. So you have these two married people. One person's talking about another one thing. Another person's talking about another thing. We, we yeah, they're like just not not meshing. We talked about that when we said, we're gonna talk about submission. So when I said, you know, what is submission? We got like three different answers on what submission was. And I said, well, the thing is, I learned this in debate. Define your terms. Because when you define your terms, there's no way you can argue about two different things because you're talking now about the same thing. And that's what we don't have in marriage unfortunately a lot of times and just relationships in general we don't have that defining of the terms okay so yes i can agree with you there i think of it i think of marriage like a movie okay name name your favorite movie (laughs) i know i put you on the spot right name your favorite movie okay you have a favorite movie Okay, so in that movie, you have actors, right? You have a supporting actor. Okay, yes. Okay, and then we have, let's see if I can get to it. Yes, okay, so we have a director, a supporting actor, an understudy, a mentee, was also going to be your mentee, and then the screenwriter, right? So we have the director. What does the director do in a, in a movie? Says how it's going to be. Okay. Or is given material. Based on that material, says how it's going to be. Okay. You have a. <laughs> to get the right end result. <laughs> okay. I don't know all that much about what directors do, but I assume they recruit the actors for the roles, mm-hmm. actors and actresses to fill a role in it, and probably provide a script to mm-hmm. make sure they're uh, staying on their scripts. Well. For somebody who doesn't know, you know a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> then you have the supporting actor. Supporting actors do what? They support the main character, so the, the supporting ones. Um, right, right, okay? And then you have the... That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> then you have the understudy. Does anybody know what an understudy does? They're right under the actor, in case the actor can't... Break. Right, so in case the actor gets sick, breaks a leg, whatever, they take over that role. And then you have the, the, uh, the screenwriter. What does the screenwriter do? You never do. Okay, think about really good TV shows that you watch. You you like The Office, right? Or, or yes. Friends. Okay, so they're, they're the ones that actually write the script. Okay. Yeah, so your script writer is going to be God, right? He writes the script. He tells you. He gives you a manual. This is what marriage is supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be laid out, right? Then you have the director. The director is going to be your mentor. That's the person who will guide you because that's what directors do. They direct you, don't go over here, go over here, don't do this, do this. That's what directors do in a, in a movie. So your mentor, that's what they're going to do. But as important as it is to have a mentor, it is just as important to have a mentee, someone that you mentor. Why? So you can pass on what you're learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, I know like with relationships and things, I don't get into them, but I see my friends constantly in them, mm-hmm. and I learn from what they're doing, what not to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I learned a whole lot. <laughs> learned a whole lot. But yes, so that 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 um, understudy, you want to make sure that you have a mentee because the mentee is actually going to keep you in line. And how is that so? That. You do. Whenever you're teaching a class, now, I don't know, have you ever taught a class? Okay, so I'm sure you know this, that as you are studying for this class, you learn more, right? And so it's the same thing. When you are studying to teach someone else, you tend to learn more. Also, it tends to make your marriage better because now you're mindful of how you speak to your mate, right? <laughs> like, I can't tell my husband just, mm. <laughs> they're watching (laughs) and so i what i do out in public is now what i'm doing even in private okay so that's the unho yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes yes and then we have the supporting actor right now the supporting actor that's your side-by-side person that's your sideline person that's the person that you do life with okay so your mentor is the person who has more experience your mentee is the person who is where who wants to get where you are. But then that sideline, those are the people, those are your friends, okay? So, you know, if you have kids, they are the people that will take your kids at a moment's notice. And one thing I've learned is that you need to choose these people wisely. Because if they're taking your kids, you gotta take theirs too. (laughs) And if they have little, that are running around, yeah, you said demon children. (laughs) You need to make sure that you are choosing them wisely, but you want to choose people that are at the same stage of life as you, you know, maybe around the same time married, maybe about the same amount of kids or that your kids are the same ages. These are the things that you want to do when you're looking for a sideline and each person, each role has a specific role right? So the director or the the mentor is very specific. They're not necessarily the people that you're going to hang around as friends. You can, but more than likely you're not. The mentee, pretty much the same thing, but that sideline, those are the ones that are going to keep you sane when you're about to jump off. (laughs) Yes. Those are the ones that will hold, hold your marriage together and pray for you at a moment's notice. So those are very important roles. All right. Now, In choosing your mentor and mentee, you want to look into the Bible. Now, we have some great examples in the Bible, and we have some not-so-great examples in the Bible, right? Well, before we get into that, you know what? I'm going to read you something from page 94. Let me see. Okay, so right here, I think I talked about the understudy, Um, but... Where was it? Okay, yes. So I was talking about the understudy where they help to keep your skills in marriage sharp. Your supporting actor, you again need to choose wisely, not just for yourself, but for your husband too. I remember choosing one that I thought was really going to mesh well with us as a couple and my husband could not stand her husband like <laughs> just it was, they were just not meshing well at all and I was like I really like her like can't, can't just, just get along I really really like her but you know God puts it in them to know and it just turns out that that was not going to be a good fit for us at all so when you're thinking about these people you want to make sure hey how you doing Thank you. Um, When you're thinking about these people, you want to make sure that you're not just relying on what you may think, but that you're really taking it before the Lord before you actually start uh, making solid decisions on these people. Okay, so next, let's get into what a wife's role is. Now, you saw My Big Fat Greek Wedding, right? Okay. Do you remember the line in My Big Fat Greek Wedding that was talking about the wife's role? Okay, can you can you tell us what it is? That it be That's okay. I'll re- I'll repeat it. Oh, okay. Um, the he- the man is the head, but the woman is the neck, and the neck can turn in whichever way she wants to. Mhm. Okay, so, huh? My favorite line. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite line, and it's so true. Okay, Not, and when I say it's so true, I don't mean that um, that line per se. It is so true. T- tell it to me again. The man is the head. The man is the head. But the woman is the neck yes and she can turn his head whichever way she wants to now that sounds very manipulative doesn't it (laughs) exactly yes you are so right depending on how you look at it now the way they meant it yeah it was probably very (laughs) manipulative the way they meant it but there is so much truth in that. So before we get to that, I'm going to share with you some of the things that I would do to my husband and other women that I've known have said, and you know, you don't have to agree or disagree, but just, you know, kind of keep a mental note on this, right? So like I told you, I grew up with the understanding that, um, manipulation was how you ran your marriage. Okay. Okay. So in manipulation being the way that we ran our marriage, I would say stuff like, I have something special for you. (laughs) If you do this or, you know, if you fix this, then I'll do this for you. Okay, very guilty of that. I was expecting him to read my mind. Why Why do we as women do that? Like, why do we think that that is something that they were born to do? right like they can barely even get what we what comes out of our mouth right so <laughs> how is it that we're expecting them to read our minds that's that's not going to work right and then turning on the waterworks whenever we wouldn't get our way mhm yep yep very guilty of all that playing the guilt card bringing up stuff from the past you know stuff that you said oh i forgive you mm-hmm. but i'm not going to forget it <laughs> yes guilty 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 withholding sex or using it to get what i want Mmm, guilty, very guilty. Uh, talking, oh, out talking him. <laughs> now we know we probably have about twice as many words as they do on any given day, right? My man is a husband of very few words, right? And he uses most of them at work. So by the time he comes home, he's like, I just want to chill. <laughs> so I'm like, but you didn't do this, and you didn't do this, right? Yeah. Out talking him and he's like, whatever, just I'll do it. What? <laughs> and that's not good. Guilty. Complaining and nagging him to death until he does it. Guilty. And the Bible says in so many areas that a man would rather live in the corner of a roof than in the house with the contentious woman He'd rather live up on the cold, rainy, snowy, windy roof, yes, yes, than inside with Wi (laughs) Fi, with all these things, you know? So it's like, wow, that says a lot. That says a lot. No wonder in 1 Peter chapter 3, God said, gentle and quiet spirit, win him over without a word, right? Okay. So if we were tried in a court of law, we would be found guilty in the first degree. At least I know I would be found guilty in the first degree. So we're going to, this was the man's the head, the woman is the neck. But we're going to talk about some poor examples in the Bible. Jezebel. Who remembers Jezebel? Y'all remember? Okay. She was a doozy. She was a doozy. You, You remember Jezebel. Died by the dogs. Well, she fell out the window and then got eaten by dogs. God wasn't playing with her. <laughs> she was the wife of Ahab and Ahab was king. But she would bring in all of the foreign gods into the holy land. Okay. And Ahab would pretty much do whatever it was that would please her. So she literally could turn his head whichever way she wanted to. She was the one that went after Elijah when he had those 450 prophets. Yes. And he and she tried to kill Elijah. Right. So she was really not a good example. Then we have Herodias. Do you all know who Herodias is? This chick. Yes. Yes. She was married to Herod. But she was actually Herod's, I believe his sister-in-law. But then it was, and and that's why she was so angry with John the Baptist because John the Baptist called that out and said, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, you are wrong for what you're doing. <laughs> yes. And so she got upset and she was like, oh, we're going to have your head on a platter and got her husband to do it. But in the midst of getting her husband to do that, it caused him so much grief. Right. So that's not a good example. Another poor example is Potiphar's wife. We all know Potiphar's wife. Poor Joseph. You know, my heart went out to Joseph. It, it really did, because it says that he was a nice looking guy. And it says that she, you know, she probably wasn't that bad looking of a woman. But hey, hands off. You can have everything else but her. <laughs> but her. So he had to flee. But then she lied to protect her own sin. But she got her husband to do her dirty work. Another poor example. I'm telling you, God is full of poor examples, so we have no excuse, right? Lot's wife. Now, this one is the doozy, okay? Because we think, oh, well, Lot's wife just turned around and turned into a pillar of salt, right? Not only did she disobey and turned around and turned into a pillar of salt. But she left her husband to raise two girls, and they had an incestuous relationship with their father and had two, not one, but two tribes that were constantly at war with the Hebrews. Yeah. So it's not just a little bit here or a little bit there. It's far-reaching for generations to come. So let's talk about some good examples. (laughs) Sarah. Now, Sarah was the wife of Abraham. In my eyes, Sarah was a saint. Okay? Because her husband said, now, look, don't you tell him you're my wife. You just say you're my sister. And in the process of her saying that, now she's in this harem. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, Lord. (laughs) I don't know if I could go that far. Okay, Lord. But... She was obedient, and in the midst of her being obedient, the Lord blessed her immensely because of that. Then Ruth, not like Ruth. Ruth was the wife of Boaz. She gleaned in his field. She was respectful of him, right? But in her respect, she not only became Boaz's wife, but that very same field she was gleaning in, now she owns it because, hey, what's his is mine, mine, right? She owns that field. And she's now in the line of the Messiah. And she is not even a Hebrew. <laughs> like she's not even an Israelite. She's a Moabite. Do you know what lineage she comes from? Well, it's the same lineage. Remember I just talked about those two tribes? The Moabites were one of those tribes from that incestuous relationship. And they weren't even allowed to be there. <laughs> yeah. See, God covers. When, you, when you're obedient, he covers. Then there was Elizabeth. Now, I chuckle with Elizabeth because she was the wife of Zechariah, right? And when Zechariah, I believe he laughed, and then he went mute, right? Do y'all remember that? God, God, God was like, mm, you're going to be mute. <laughs> so as a wife... <laughs> I'd be like, would you say what? (laughs) I'm very sarcastic, right? But that would not be the right thing to do. Elizabeth did not do that, and that's why she was blessed. (laughs) That's why God didn't put me in that position because He said, "Mm -mm, you can't handle that yet. You're You're not ready for all that yet. All right, and then one more great example Abigail, right? When she was married to Nabal before she got married to David, Nabal. He was foolish, he was drunk, he was just, we'll just call him special. (laughs) And Abigail ran out to David and coveted her husband's sin so that her husband's life could be spared. That's a good wife for you. That is how you turn your husband's head to the left or to the right. Not like Jezebel and Potiphar's wife and and those. Okay. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the actual head, right, and what the head does. So the head is hard. It is, and it weighs about 8% of the body's weight, okay? <laughs> you leave your brother alone. <laughs> is the body's command center and is responsible for sending messages throughout the body. Because the skull is its protective shield... It can withstand trauma, pressure, and outside influences that the neck cannot handle, Mm, right? Different way to look at the head. There's the neck. (laughs) You like my little? I know you like this. Okay, so there's the neck. It's softer, and it connects the head with the rest of the body, and it is true even in our homes, right? They say the man's the head of the home, but the woman's the heart of the home. Chances are the woman is like that glue, in the house where she's connecting the husband with the kids, <laughs> like, hey, they had a great day, so did you, Whoo, here they are, <laughs> you know? So that is a portion of what the neck does. It allows airflow to be supplied to the brain, which the head houses, so that it and the entire body can function properly. And then it allows the head to turn so that it can have a better view, left and right, to make better decisions about the direction in which the body should move. So when it says the man is the head and the woman is the neck, you can really see where that's coming from. So there are certain types of relationships. And uh, there are two that we're really going to talk about. So a symbiotic relationship, that's the umbrella And then there are the two that are underneath it. So the definition of a relationship is, or a symbiotic relationship is two uh, people or two kinds of organisms that last over a period of time. Now, sim means together, bio means life, but cis actually means condition or action. So it's the action of being together and uh, together in life. Okay, so that's what a symbiotic relationship is. But there are two types. There's one that's healthy and one not so healthy. So we have parasitism. Parasitism is when one organism benefits and the other one does not. And you see this a lot in marriages where one spouse is thriving and the other one just looks like they are slowly dying inside. And that's not how God designed for marriage to be at all. At all, and then you have mutualism. Now, mutualism—that's the good one, okay? Because with mutualism, both spouses benefit. So, I'll give you an example of mutualism. Uh, my husband came home from work. I had just finished dinner. I was looking like who done it and ran <laughs> because I was tired. It was a long day. The kids were going. Nah, nah, nah. My husband comes in, and he says, go do what you need to do. I will take care of the kids. thank you. Thank you. The the, um, mutualism in that was dinner was already made, so he got the the fruit of the dinner. (laughs) But I got a moment to just gather myself together before dinner was actually served. Mutualism. You get that? Mm -hmm. You got that. Good. Okay. Yay. Glad to hear that. So then we're going to share about the relationship between the head and the neck. So with the head, like I said, it can withstand trauma, right? But a lot of times, have you ever had a tension headache? Headaches. Okay, okay. With a tension headache, you'll feel it back here, like at the base of your neck, and um, you'll feel it in your head up here too. So both the neck and the head are being affected with a tension headache, okay? Okay. Now there are many reasons for tension headaches, okay? But the pain is a constant reminder, trust me, of the discomfort that you are feeling, and it can resonate down your neck, rendering your neck less flexible. Okay, so your your neck can't move. You didn't know that, did you? Hmm. Do you? No, that's not good. Got fix that. Okay. And so if your neck is in pain, then that means that if it's not flexible, then the head can't turn and see everything that it needs to see, right? There are certain things that can bring on a tension headache, cold and flu, temperature change, food, certain activities, and stress. All of these things can bring on tension headaches, okay? And stress can cause muscle contractions in both the head and the neck, causing severe pain and not allowing there to be much movement. So now let's just break all this down, right? When the head is 8% of the body, but God is giving it the bulk of the responsibility for the body, right? The head is specifically designed to handle pressures and influences that the neck has never been designed to handle. And only when both are in optimal health will the body perform in optimal harmony. And remember, this is what we're talking about. We're trying to have unity within our marriage right so if one is in pain the other one's going to feel that pain one way or another and there's not going to be harmony right but you can throw a monkey wrench in there like stress and everything is going to be thrown off kilter so let me ask you this do you think it is okay for the head to do the function of the hand You can have a head do the function of the hand? Okay. Do you think that it is, uh, that we should expect the neck to do the function of the leg? Uh No. Okay. So if that's the case, then why do we expect wives to do the function of husbands and husbands to do the function of wives? And when I say function, I don't mean like, you know, cook clean. I don't mean those types of things. I'm talking about what God has designed for the man to do. Why do we think it's okay? Why, why do we push so hard for that to be the case? God designed us specifically, fearfully, and wonderfully, but he designed us woman <laughs> and man. But yet, they do. They want to blur the line. They want to, bl- yes, they want to blur the line. Yes. And when they disrupt God's plan, they get the consequences of disrupting God's plan. Yeah. Very true. You know, when we're looking at the divorce rate among Christians, because Christians have now gotten away from defining marriage the way God has defined it. And now we're looking to Webster to define <laughs> marriage for us. When I, when I read that, that definition, it was crazy because the definition, it's okay. that definition was, but it was like an either or. So it was it should be re, um, accepted either by religion socially, or I can't even remember, or, or, or lawfully. I'm like, what? (laughs) I I don't really understand where that comes from. So I can be married socially, but not lawfully. I could be, I, I could be married and God recognize it, but nobody else recognize it. But that's Webster's definition. That's, yeah, that's a little scary, but Now you understand why we're getting the consequences of almost a 50% divorce rate among Christians when we should be the lowest out of any of them, right? Scary. (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to get into intimacy in marriage, okay? So we talked about, and you said it too, that a man's deepest need is respect right? Well, his second deepest need is sex. And, you know, this is not true for everyone across the board. I think there are so many topics that are not spoken of in church, you know, how it's supposed to be a man's role to always want to have sex and a woman's role to not. But honestly, it can flip. You know, it it really can flip. I have clients where the woman is like, you know, I don't remember the last time we've had sex. I just honestly don't remember the last time because my husband is just not interested. And it's not like he's interested in having it with other people. He's just not interested, you know? So that has to be addressed as well. So when I speak of this, I'm just speaking across a broader sense. Okay, but I do want to give you some statistics. Okay, so this was from the Family Circle magazine. Right. And it was given to married women and they were asked about their innermost desires, needs and joys. Eight percent of the married women said that they were completely satisfied with their sexual experiences in marriage. Right. That it was very hot. That's what they put. Twenty one percent said it was routine and boring. 21% Twenty-one percent said they didn't have a sex life at all. Now, these are married people. Yeah. So when you think, oh, well, you know, when I get married, then it's going to be okay. I'm gonna... No, just like with singlehood hooded marriage, this could be a very real situation in marriage. Twenty to thirty percent of men and thirty to fifty percent of women said that they had little to no sex drive. Yeah. And, I mean, these are not older married people. This is just, like, from 20 on. That's, that's concerning, right? Then, um, you know, I'm thinking, how do we combat that? You know, how, how do we get to a point where it's that symbiotic relationship? It's that mutual relationship where both parties are benefiting from it. I don't like pre-planned exercise. Never been a fan of it. Mm -mm. I don't like the gym. I don't, (laughs) I'm a type of person. I like volleyball. I like basketball. I like football. I like to play those sports. That's how I like to get my exercise. I don't like to pre-plan anything, but I look at pre-planned exercise the same way I look at pre-planned sex. It just, it does nothing for me. So I have to have a routine. And so I'm gonna share with you my routine right now. It's nothing to get scared of. Okay. So my routine would be get up, check. Yes. (laughs) It would be that serious at times where I have to say, okay, I just gotta get out of bed. (laughs) Get up, check. Take a shower, check. Turn on mood music, check. Pack a sultry romantic note written by me, the love of his life. Yes, yeah, sometimes I had to remind myself of that. For him to find in his lunch bag. Check. Spray perfume on paper so he can anticipate and, mount, and that anticipation mounts as he smells it all day long. Check. Perhaps midway through the day, give him a text that... Maybe it'll be just a wink or a catchy phrase that only the two of us would understand because we never knew what other eyes would be prying, like my child, my son, while we were reading each other's text messages. (laughs) Yes, very nosy. When I arrived home, I would quickly get dinner on the table and get the little rugrats, I mean children, in the bed. I would jump into the shower again yes, that was necessary to be focused on him because focus is important. Now, women, we can think of a million things, right? (laughs) Because I know I'd be thinking about, you know, is this bill paid? Did the dog get walked? Like all these things I can be thinking about, which I'm so glad that the Lord gave men the ability to only think about one thing, (laughs) at a time. Because at least this way I know he's focusing on me. You know what I mean? Just think about the one thing at a time and and we're good. The beautiful thing though about sex is that whether it's pre-planned or whether it's spontaneous, you know, because like when we were younger, everything could be spontaneous. You know, you could be like little bunnies and it didn't matter. Oh, you're home. Yay! Let's go. You know, that type of thing. But Whether it's pre-planned or whether it's spontaneous, it's a conversation. And if people, I mean, we read those statistics. If spouses are not having that conversation, then you can honestly see why so many marriages are deteriorating. Or if they're not having that conversation with each other and they're having that conversation with other people, you can really see why marriages are deteriorating. Now, you can say more while making love to your husband than you could ever say with words. And he more than he ever will say with words. And I told you, my husband is a man, very few words, right? But as marriage is, that conversation is so beautiful. You know, and things that you may never be able to share with one another in any other space. You get to know that person on such a deeper level when you get to that point of intimacy. I remember my daughter was asking me, she was like, you invite God in? Like, <laughs> like he's the last person I wanna be thinking about. <laughs> and you know, I felt that way too. I'm like, mm, I don't know, that's kind of weird. But when you invite God in, it takes it to a whole new level. He is. He really is. So it takes it to a whole new level. And so I just get so blessed by that because I can see that that conversation continues. And a marriage that is consistently consummated is not easily broken. And that is truth. It is not easily broken. So that is our meeting for today. Let me... uh, Close us out in a word of prayer, and then we'll take some questions, okay? All right. Lord, we thank you so much for this time, for your word, for your message. Oh, Lord, I pray that this message would not just be heard in here, but that it would permeate through outside these walls, Lord. You are mighty. You are so mighty, and what you have created is wonderful. I pray that more marriages especially those who call themselves followers of you, that they would take these principles and that they would adhere to them, that they would seek your face and seek your definition of what marriage is and the depiction of what it should look like. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.